So this is our third and final week in our series on communion. The first week we saw Jesus take what seemed like not nearly enough and make gracious plenty. And we were reminded that at this table there is an abundance. There is plenty to go around. In the second week, we heard Paul give us instructions about how to be together at this table. We were reminded that this table is a table where hierarchies are broken down, where we eat in a way that is different from the rest of the world. And this week, we go way back in history in order to look forward to the end. So we're going back to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, the palace of foreigners is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy in their distress, a shelter from the rainstorm and a shade from the heat. When the blast of the ruthless was like a winter rainstorm, the noise of foreigners like heat in a dry place, you subdued the heat with the shade of clouds. The song of the ruthless was stilled. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the covering that is spread over all nations. You will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, See, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Scholars aren't exactly sure when to date this passage. It is called Isaiah's Apocalypse, and it interrupts the flow of Isaiah. There's a break in this back and forth of judgment and mercy for these promises that come tumbling in, making claims about what is ultimate, what is really real. 
how things will really be in the end. And the best guess is that it is from the 6th century BCE, which means that it is either from just before Israel was conquered by the Babylonians or just after that as they were driven into exile. So in other words, whenever it was written, things were pretty rotten. It is easy, at least for me and maybe for you, to believe right now that the world is coming to an end. And it is true we are facing problems that have never been faced in quite this way before. And at the same time, I am fairly convinced that every generation has a moment when they believe the world is coming to an end. Certainly, that was true for the first readers and hearers of this word. Their homes were destroyed. Their children were at risk. Their lives were forfeit. And those who survived were sent into exile never to see their homeland again. Their world ended. And into that despair... These words come exploding. You, O oh God, have done wonderful things. The palace of the foreigners is no more. It will never be rebuilt. A promise that the way it is now for them is not the way it will always be. And what catches me every time is that this is in present tense. Almost certainly, when it was spoken, it had not yet actually come to pass. And yet the promise, to the prophet at least, was so certain and sure that he or she was able to speak of it as if it were accomplished in their midst right then and there. As if, as everything fell apart, they were already saved. Now that is biblical hope. It is completely nonsensical by the logic of this world. But it is the word that the prophets always bring to us. And I think it is what we desperately need right now. In the face of all that is falling apart, in the face of the certainty that the center cannot continue to hold, this word from 600 years before Christ comes to us again, and it makes the audacious claim that things will not end in death and despair or nuclear holocaust or wars over water, but instead that death itself will be gobbled up. This is our ultimate destination. A place so tender that God, like a mother, wipes the tears from our faces. 
and death no more looms over us. And there's a feast of rich food, such good food that the menu is worth repeating twice. This is where we're headed, to this kind of feast, this kind of feast. Because what we're doing when we come here is looking back, yes, to Christ's death and resurrection and claiming his continued presence and looking forward to a feast where all are gathered in. And when Isaiah says all nations, he means every tribe and every clan, all peoples on this earth gathered in from this side of the veil and the other gathered in for a feast so rich we can scarcely imagine it. And we need this because to live with this promise can ease our fear, can help us set down some of those defenses we keep up so high, help us live a bit more open-handed and open-hearted, welcoming neighbor, loving God with whole heart, because we know how the story is going, and we know where the story is going, to a feast, a party, with rich food, well-aged wines, bread, and gracious plenty for all. Amen.